call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 32 of Call It Friend of the podcast, where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Annika Tiernan, watched two Martin Scorsese Mafia classics, 2019's The Irishman and 1995's Casino. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for both films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Please follow Call It Friendo Podcast on Instagram, like the Facebook page, leave a review on iTunes or any or all of the above. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at callitfriendopodcast at gmail.com. Also, I am in the market for a house painter. So if you do happen to paint houses, please get in touch. What have you been watching? I have watched very, very little this week on account Me of having too. to watch 17 hours worth of films. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, that. Sorry. Oh, wait, Jesus. I've watched loads. What are we talking about? I've been very busy, I'm sorry to say. I guess it wasn't really that much. How many hours were the combined totals of the two films this week? Six and a half. Six and a half. Okay. So mm-hmm. realistically, I probably should have watched more, but I finished off the night of at some point. I finished the last couple of episodes of that. That was excellent. And uh, yeah, I'll be on the lookout for more classy. We were, dis- we were discussing before about the French series Engrenage or Spiral, apparently as it's called, which I will be starting mm. at some point. But yeah. instead, what I've been watching is uh, Hernan. You familiar with this? I've, I haven't heard of this. It's a 2019 Spanish-Mexican co-production. It's about Hernan Cortez and his capturing of Tenochtitlan. Tenochtitlan. Lads out. It's yeah, it's good. Yeah, a bit. I like it. Hernan. It's called. Mm-hmm. Who's Nan? He said. Hernan. It stars uh, some guy from Barcelona. I can't remember his name. Well, it's o- Oscar Janela, I'd say. That's him. Oscar Janela. He's in it. And then the lady is Isabel Bautista. Follow her on Instagram now, if you, if you know what I mean. I, I literally follow her on Instagram. I presume she plays Cortex, uh, Cortez's uh, Mexican um, concubine that he chose. Yeah, her name's Malinche or something. I'm she not, used I've to watch one on, episode, I have to say. So she used to appear on the Mexican Money and everything. Ooh, good for her. Apparently, mm. there's very little known about her, Hernan Cortez. But anyway, it's what you would expect. It's a big budget period epic. I like it, and I'm watching it in Spanish with Spanish subtitles. And even that, just for the change of pace, is really nice. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying watching something I, in a foreign I wanna, language. And, uh, you, uh, I see it's on Amazon Prime. I'm going to check that out immediately. Ah, nice. Yeah, that, yeah that's where back. I got it from. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you didn't watch the Pembrokeshire murders? Not yet. I've been too busy uh, checking out the old Malinche. Ah, fair enough. Mrs. Cortez. All right. Um, is that all you've been watching? <laughs> that is it. And the fucking Martin Scorsese's longest films. I don't even know if they are, Okay, they've got to be up there. Yes, they are. Uh, well, no, The Wolf of Wall Street would uh, be in between the two. Mm. So I've watched Martin Scorsese's two of his three longest films, starting, first of all, 
I watched three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri shortly after last week's podcast. Mm. Have you seen that? Yeah, I saw it in the cinema. I haven't watched it since then, but I would like to watch it again. Neither it's starring I. Abby. It's got Abby Cornish in it, I recall. It has got Abby as Cornish we discussed. in it as uh, Woody Harrelson's wife. Yes. Uh, all together for Woody Harrelson's character in that film. Nice. Nice Woody Harrelson. Good, yeah, good job. Yeah, doesn't he die of uh, cancer? Spoilers. No, he dies of suicide. Spoiler. Oh, uh, but he has cancer, correct? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, that's a really sweet moment, isn't it? Uh, I really enjoyed himself. it. And okay. then I, I read up on, um, I don't know, reanalysis of the film, let's say. And uh, people were annoyed that an Irish writer who grew up in London and, and mostly lives in Ireland and got the idea for the film while traveling through the United States and noticing random personalized messages on billboards, they were annoyed uh, that this man didn't factor in some of the racial issues that exist in Missouri. And it has been kind of, what's the word, tabooed a little bit by the woke police. Taboo. And of all, it, it has, you can look this up and find this. And of all the... I was saying you know, taboo earns. <laughs> of all the cancelling of random materials, this seems this one seems just bizarre to me. Like I feel like there Martin was a lot McDonough's of controversy plays at the time. Do not ex- Pardon? I feel like there was a lot of controversy at the time about Sam Rockwell's character. Even when the film came out, people were a bit negative about that. Oh, because he was a racist. Because he was a baddie. And he redeemed himself a bit too easily in some people's eyes. Oh, okay. I don't remember hearing that flack. That's because you were... But fair enough. I wasn't racist, and don't <laughs> okay. say that. That's not what I was going to say. Um, I was going to say because you were just supporting a fellow Irishman. You were blinded by Well, that yeah, patriotic. there's always that. Even though I don't like Seven Psychopaths at all, I don't think that's a good film at all. I like the idea of um, Seven Psychopaths much more than the reality of watching it. It seems like it should be good, but then actually it's quite disappointing. But that said, his first feature film in Bruges is one of my favorite films ever, and yours too, I believe. Absolutely. How do you feel about Shooter? About Six Shooter. Oh, is that what it's called? It's not, it's not Shooter, is it? Shooter McGavin. His, yeah, uh, his short film? Yeah. I think it's amazing. It's, it's a lot of fun, isn't it, on the train? Oh my god, I think it's absolutely fantastic. There's, there, like, uh, I, I, before I knew anything of him, I saw... Um, one of uh, one of his plays i've seen two is uh, two of his plays performed but one of them before he had made six shooter or, or anything i was just in the habit of going to the theater occasionally in my small town in ennis and his play the beauty queen of lanan was performed and fucking blew me away i haven't um, seen any of his plays kind of, i'd certainly like to uh, they're they're worth reading as well he has gone on record fairly stringently in saying that like Film is his preferred medium to write in. But even three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, there's a stage equality to it. But like like it is in the same way as Seven Psychopaths is too much and in Bruges is the perfect amount, it is Agreed. in conversation with the genre. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's talking with how things are made and the way stories are told. Sure, Peter Dinklage is in it. There's <laughs> Statistically, there are more uh, midgets in Martin McDonough's films than there are in the world. Um, Is that? Oh, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. That's not Peter Dinklage. Uh, You're thinking of In Bruges. Peter Dinklage. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, sorry. I thought you were talking about In Bruges. (laughs) Sorry. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) You're right. Okay, yeah. So he's used. (laughs) I don't remember Peter Dinklage in Three Billboards. 
Yeah, he's in. Who does he play? I'm struggling not to say the the town midget, but here we go. (laughs) That's fine, but I just don't even recall that. It's not like the station agent or something. I just can't recall. Yeah, he he covers up for um, he covers up for um, Franny. I think her name is yeah McDormand's character when she burns down the police station. I have no recollection of that. Does he shag her? No, but he asks her out for dinner. Oh. Then I continued uh, through the MCU. I watched Thor, um, which is okay. Uh, Hemsworth is just brilliant. Hiddleston is just brilliant. But uh, yeah, a lot of the off-world stuff didn't hang too well for me. And the next up for me is actually Thor The Dark World, which is almost totally off-world. So we'll see. Uh, Then I watched Mission Impossible Fallout, which is just Mm. fucking fantastic. Good God. Is Fallout the last one? Yeah. So Army Henry no, Cavill. No, no, no. Henry Cavill. I want to say Army Hammer. Henry Cavill in a helicopter. Henry Cavill on bad guy duty is and just getting pummeled top. in the toilets. Yeah, indeed. Then of course came Captain America: The First Avenger, which is mostly great. It's mostly absolutely great. Uh, the fact that they got uh, your man um, Joe uh, Joe Johnson, Joe Johnson, I believe his name yeah, is. Yeah, from who did Rocketeer and a bunch of other stuff. For, yeah, yeah, the Rocketeer to direct all that like kind of. Sp- almost Disney clean mm, version stuff. of the 1940s mm. uh, really worked out for the film. It's really good. Then the Avengers, Josh Whedon's film, which is, yeah, it's just great. God, I haven't I mean, rewatched. I haven't seen that for ages. Oh, it's, it's terrific. Does it you hold could, up? You could jump right in. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really good. The parts I remember being the best kiss off lines are the best kiss off lines. But one thing that really stands out about that film is that the, Action, the action, the death from above, typical Marvel thing that oh, becomes boring end. depending on the film, is really good. The way they they shoot that mm. in that film, it's really really well done. Then I'm sorry, I've watched a lot of stuff, Andy. I then know. I, so I watched uh, uh, all of Unforgotten season one. Okay, which I yeah, which I really enjoyed. That's uh, we were texting about that during the week. Just a uh, yeah, boring slow procedurals just showing how they work out crimes that's exactly what i'm in for yeah. last night i watched on netflix an argentinian film called el patron uh, which is based on a real murder about a guy who's basically taken in for slave labor in a butcher shop in buenos aires and ends up murdering his boss uh which was really good i really enjoyed that and this morning i watched iron man 3 which is i'm gonna say was the best uh, marvel film up until that point I enjoyed it. I remember there was a lot of people unhappy about the Mandarin, but I really liked it. I like that twist. Uh, ben Kingsley's really funny at the reveal. Yeah, he is. After. He's really funny. Trevor. Trevor. But a lot of people are really funny in it because it's, it's yeah, Shane Black. Yeah, Shane Black. Obviously, it's going to be great. It's gonna yeah. be well scripted. The, the, like, the funniest part in the film is um, Tony has taken out a bunch of henchmen at, when, at the mansion where he's just caught uh, Ben Kingsley's character. And then there's just one finally left who runs out and um, your man, like this final henchman, just puts his hands up and just goes, please don't kill me. I hate working here. These people are really weird. And he just lets them go. It's very funny. (laughs) I remember that. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, Yeah. So I've been watching a shit ton, a metric shit ton, to be honest, as well as six hours of Martin Scorsese. Good God. Speaking of which I suppose will. Oh, go on. Speaking of Shane Black and comedy, one of the reviews I saw of The Irishman said that Martin Scorsese is one of the most underrated comedy directors of the current generation. 
I would say of any generation, I think Martin Scorsese's films are often hilarious. Mm-hmm. Even I don't go know back if they said to current like generation. Me. That was me. Any road. Shall we dive right in? Sure. It's with the Irishman? The Irishman. All right, cool. So I like the idea of doing a full Martin Scorsese episode because Martin Scorsese was one of the first directors whose films had me like sit forward at the end of the movie to see who directed them. The first times, legitimately, the first times I can remember doing that would have been Taxi Driver or Full Metal Jacket. I have particular memories of those. Um, and I would have been, this would have been as well pre-broadband days. I remember specifically writing down Martin Scorsese's name and looking for books about him in my local library. There aren't major, there aren't many stages in the Scorsese story that I'd be unfamiliar with. But the I man remember, is so fucking... I had a similar what? experience. The first time I sat down and watched The Age of Innocence, I immediately, I was like, I... The first time I watched Kundun, I realized <laughs> that... Fuck off. This was a director who just changed my life. I mean, look, there aren't many stages in his journey that I wouldn't be familiar with, let's say, but the man is so prolific. There's a lot of stuff he's done that I haven't seen, and you just mentioned one of them. I have not seen Kundun. I haven't seen um, Age of Innocence, but, I don't think. Maybe I have, I don't recall. I've seen Age of Innocence. I always liked the fact in, uh, I, I think it's series two of Sopranos. Christopher sees Martin Scorsese going into a nightclub. He's just ignoring the whole crowd. Uh, and Christopher yells after him, Hey, Kundun, I liked it. <laughs> While having stumbled at his first attempt at, let's say, epic filmmaking with a cocaine opus, New York, New York, Scorsese spent enough of the 80s making like more avant-garde stuff that um, he came back to the larger canvas of Goodfellas, let's say, which with gusto and i'd i'd say that since then even the smaller stories he's told have seen have felt like bigger stories in comparison i think that was the real watershed moment for him i think that's what he's going to be doing forever i think he's going to be trying to make the great american movie let's say the great american movie epic and i think the irishman is maybe as close as he's some come so far to putting the full stop on that sentence. That isn't to say I enjoy this film the most out of all of his films. It's just to say that since he's been really trying to dip his toes in like the water of the meaning of America, let's say the Irishman seems the closest to cathartic he's come. Uh, what's been your relationship with Scorsese over the years? His work, as in? Yeah, I'm glad you qualified that. Yeah, of course. I mean, I was always a big fan of Goodfellas, Casino, things like that. In recent years, I would say I haven't enjoyed his films as much. But going back to things like Taxi Driver, clearly that had a big influence. As you say, like I probably I took a real interest in films when I was 16. And Taxi Driver is something that really stands out as having that time and place and that seedy 1970s New York underbelly that we've talked about before of like showing a time and place on film. And then expanding mm. from there, Scorsese's gone into so many different territories, but it's always been interesting and it's always been something that you want to see. There's only a handful of his films I haven't seen and I've never walked away from one of his films not being at least interested in the topic. Even if I wasn't a yeah, huge I... fan of it, it was still a well-made, well-executed piece of film, always. Are you talking about silence there? Silence was hard going for me. I had a very tough time with silence. I wanted to sleep at several points 
and I was 100% on board with the torture of the priests. One hundred percent on board. My goodness! I mean, that is that. That's and how did you get on with the Irishman? My first. Okay, I really, really liked it. I thought it was excellent. I do have a couple of questions. One question is, and this is a serious question. This is not a joke. But in the current climate and the way the world is now, and and what we've devolved into the shit show that is modern society. Is there any yeah, sure. just is there any justification for a three and a half hour film at this point? Yes. What? Yeah. Why not just uh, break I... it into a miniseries? Why force people to sit? Okay, for I three mean, and okay, a half hours? okay, 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 okay. I'm not talking about the well, length. It, well, there's nothing you know, I would have know, cut. Do, well, do you know what? Okay, why split it into a miniseries? I suppose is it's just because that's not the art form Scorsese grew up with. Yeah. Like very recently, I watched three hours close to of the Pembrokeshire murders. I talked about it here um, in one sitting. Mm-hmm. And that, like uh, last in the last week, I watched, I think, four episodes of um, Unforgotten in one sitting. I get it. People might need the episodes breaking up, but that's not the art. That's not the, what Scorsese grew up with. So, I mean, this is what he wants to make. This is what he wants to make. That's one of the things that I... W- have kind of noted about this is like with a certain amount of street cred you can do whatever you want so you know fuck what people are looking for quite frankly that's why netflix said yeah come over here make what you want you know what i mean yeah uh and and i agree with that from an artistic perspective but it was also a massive loss for netflix overall the one thing that's interesting about netflix is the fact that because they can they can really focus in on the specifics of the audience so they could tell you exactly who was watching it some of the statistics around that were quite funny because for the irishman on the first day that it was uh, released on netflix something like the vast majority of the viewers the demographic was like 50 to 60 year old men <laughs> yeah Okay. It was uh, the 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 opening day demo was twenty percent men aged fifty to sixty four, so it's like even then it's, it's it's an older demographic already who's willing to sit down and watch a three and a half hour film about the mafia. So the three and a half hour film in this format is on its way out anyway. I would say. I'd say you're right. Yeah, and maybe that's good or bad. I, I mean. I just don't want to sit down and watch something for three and a half hours. The concept of doing it in the cinema is just brutal. For me, I'd have to, because well, I have a well, child-sized yeah, bladder, I, I'd have to do a lot of planning, and I don't want well, to. Honestly, I enjoyed this much more. This is the second time I've seen it. I enjoyed it much more this second time, and I have figured that some of that was down to the environment of the cinema. And, yeah, not being in my own home. Anyway... Right. I'll kick into it. We're going to go broad strokes on this because it's sure. so labyrinthine and so much happens. I mean, it's ridiculous. So the Irishman is the story of Frank Sheeran, essentially. He's a mob hitman who later in life claimed to have shot Jimmy Hoffa and thus provided the content for Charles Brandt's book, uh, his true crime book, I Heard You Paint Houses, which I ordered after watching this for the podcast and I have been really enjoying it, actually. Uh, hmm. Reportedly, Scorsese and De Niro had been developing... A variety of projects to work on over the years and none got close to home runs until De Niro read Brandt's book in researching for The Good Shepherd. The second 
last film to feature Joe Pesci before The Irish came out, uh, and he took uh, the text to Scorsese. Uh, Steve Zellian wrote a script, and the core cast did a full read-through as early as 2013. Uh, do you know what the second and fourth last films to feature Joe Pesci before The Irishman were? I do. Do you want me to tell you? So the 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 Please. previous to the Irishman was Love Ranch in 2010, which I haven't seen, and 2006 is The Good Shepherd, directed by Robert De Niro. Yeah, I did that autistic trivia search as well. Indeed, and then before, like, yeah, so it was a few years. And what, and what was before that? What was what was before? It was uh, Little Weapon Four, wasn't it? That's like 1998. Yeah, Little Weapon right? Four. That's mad. Uh, the the have you seen Love Ranch? I have not. I'm sorry to say I missed out on that one. Oh, yeah, wow. Before Sounds like a softcore pornography wow, and seems like a mad old movie. I have to be honest. One of my first reaction when I saw Joe Pesci on screen in the film was I had no idea who it was. I did not recognize him at all because he just leers into, he leers into view. Also, one of the early comments I wrote in my, in my notes was this is probably my favorite Muppets film. <laughs> okay i can safely enough guess what you're meaning with the whole uh muppets remark there but we'll get to that i suppose um all right well hold on so the film is told well this will lead into that question actually the film is told over 50 years right jumping between de niro's sheeran telling his story from a nursing home sheeran driving pesci's russell buffalino to his niece's wedding with their wives in tow and everything that happens before in between and after making up the main narrative that begins with sheeran as a trucker meeting pesci at a gas station okay do you want to talk about de-aging now or de-aging later yeah so robert de niro is supposed to play an age range of between 24 and 80 years old so at the start of the film the robert de niro that you see pulling up in his truck speaking to joe pesci is allegedly 24 years old now no that's not true 30 35 well, according to what I read, he's supposed to be playing an age range of 24 to 80. Yes, but uh, so what point the youngest is he, he is, is in World War II. Oh, when he's uh, shooting prisoners of war. Okay, anyway, whatever age he's this supposed to be, thing he's is supposed 30, to be. 35. 35. In, in any case, that's a rough 35. To have a monster head, but it's nowhere near as terrifying as Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci is another species. It, but it's only early on. It's just the de-aging. Once they get through the de-aging, it doesn't bother me. And when you age people up, that's okay. But I also did come away from the film wanting to Google Joe Pesci and just go like, what the hell does he look like at this point? Because I, I'm struggling to, huh. to, to choose See, which I did Joe not, Pesci is real. I did not have that reaction. Um, it was really, like only, a lot it of was really flag, only early on that it bothered me. A lot of the flack that the film got did come on on two fronts that you've already mentioned uh, the bulk of the film and the de-aging and as far as i'm concerned there's like i said there's no complaining about the length of the film when it comes to an elder statesman such as martin scorsese you're either on board or you're not and if you're not then fuck off i was not as on board the first time i watched it uh, but i loved it so much this time that i spec that had more to do with the screening starting at 10 p.m 
than any merits or lack Ugh. thereof. I was just tired. It was past my bedtime. Yeah. But the de-aging is something that that I've heard complained about a lot with reference uh, mostly to how the characters move. And the de-aging is also a detail that without the film, uh, it would not have been made. As Scorsese said, he's had no interest uh, making it without De Niro, whose character is seen at various stages, as you said, between 25 and fucking 90. Do you know actually how the, the, the field test they gave for it to get uh, Scorsese and De Niro's approval. Yeah, they did a scene from Goodfellas. They de-aged a scene from Goodfellas. Yeah, they did the scene where he's given out about, I think it's Maury buying a pink Cadillac, isn't it? Like, I can see some credence in the griping about it, but particularly on second viewing, I'm happy to rationalize it away on, again, two fronts, well, I I've suppose. Got... Firstly, the context of the film grants it a little. Whatever about the World War II scene, we start with Sheeran age 35. Mm-hmm. 35-year-old Sheeran, an Irish-American truck driver with a 1950s diet plan, did not look like a 35-year-old Robert De Niro, a Hollywood star. Okay? That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Right? Uh, there are pictures of Sheeran from every decade depicted in the film, and at no point is De Niro's build at odds with the reality. Really, mm-hmm. check it out. Uh, secondly, I'd honestly rather have these guys the whole way through than any bollocking around with young fellas. I don't know. What do you think? Well, so what I wanted to say was, I, yeah, throughout the film, Sheeran's daughter Peggy is scared of Joe Pesci's character. And to be honest, I'm not surprised because it's like she's in Labyrinth or something. And because he looks like the fucking Goblin King. I mean, he's just, there's, he look, he's a Muppet. This, I would be scared too, like fucking Uncanny Valley head. So I'm not surprised wow, about I that. Wow, I did not get that. Yeah, it it really bothered me. It bothered me. The head just felt so off. It, it was just really, really strange. Secondly, I, re- I was impressed with the technique that Scorsese used. So what he did was the character of Peggy, when she was young, he had a child play her. And then later on in the film, he employed an adult. So he got a different actor to do the same role. I think this technique could really take off if other filmmakers used it. Ah, fuck off, you sarky <laughs> bastard. I mean, what are you fucking trying to be Stuart Lee? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got me there. You got me good. You got me good. Whatever. Well, okay, okay. The, wait, 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 actor, wait, wait, wait. That wait, child actor we... who plays Peggy as a kid is amazing. She's great. Yeah, I like her. She's good. But who could have played a younger De Niro or Pesci? Or an or alternative casting? Okay, um... Who's the Punisher I mean, he's, again? He's gonna, uh, John, I, I, uh, John, 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 John Bernthal. That's it, John Bernthal. I think he could have managed. Well, like a young Frank De Niro. Yeah. Or the whole, yeah. Yeah, I would say that 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 would work. I think I would have gone Jonah for James Hill. Franco. Yeah, it's funny that we're going for similar, similar areas. Yeah. Uh, how about Michael Sarah for young who? <laughs> all Ray of them? Romano for all the characters. <laughs> yeah, he could have played young Ray Romano actually. That would have worked. Uh, who did who? Okay, let's talk about cast before we even continue on. Okay. So, who worked for you in the film? Who didn't? I thought Ray Romano was very good as Bill Buffalino. I was surprised. I mean, I've seen Ray Romano in a few dramatic things. I guess he had the opportunity to be quite funny in this as well. But I think he's really good. I thought he fit the character. I liked him. I like Pesci's character. I just thought he just seemed a little. I, I I just didn't like the de aging. I thought Al Pacino was fine. I thought the accents a bit all over the place. 
Stephen Graham plays Italian mob guys all the time, and it. I always feel like his accent is just about to give out at any period, and he's about to go. I'm sorry. I can't do, I can't do the Scouse accent, but you know what I mean. Harvey Keitel. I mean, he said about three words in the entire thing. He looks okay. the part, but he says so little. Oh, I I have to See, say, I thought I, I thought Pe- I thought Pesci was really good in it. Me too. I th- I think he was really good. I enjoyed seeing him. I was happy to see him on screen. Definitely. I was going to say a person who I think was a very strange casting choice was Dominic Lombardozzi as uh, Fat Tony Salerno. Yeah, because they buried him underneath prosthetics or something. Right. It was weird, just wasn't it? Looked like a big fat version of himself yeah, but uh, yeah yeah no 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 I, I i completely agree with you i was watching that wondering why didn't they just catch somebody who looks like that i suppose other... it's because he's worked he's worked with scorsese before hasn't mm. he mm. the other person i thought was a bit strange was uh jim norton is don rickles i mean i understand that they wanted you know to have a comedian but seeing as we saw don rickles yeah. in the other film it was like come on as much as i like jim norton he's not don rickles no, Just no, get someone no, no. Else. that was a strange choice as well. I, I'll agree, but um, in general, I thought I thought the central three were were really really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, uh, and I thought the kid who played Peggy was was very good as well. Very memorable. Yeah, her name's Lucy Galina, apparently, and then she turns into Anna Paquin. All right, fair enough. Anyway. Some shady business puts Frank Sheeran uh, in contact with Ray Romano's uh, union lawyer, whose cousin is Joe Pesci's Russ. Remember the name? Bird, Buffalino. 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 Oh God, I was just racist against the, the against you people. Um, and all of a sudden, we're what the all fuck mobbed do you mean up. By you Sheeran, people? Sheeran puts his veteran ruthlessness to good use and begins performing hits for the mobs. Compared to slicker vehicles. For contracted killings, how did you find the murder scenes in this? I thought they were fucking brilliant. I liked it because, well, I think that feeds into what we could discuss as being the point of the whole film, but it's not a gut. Yes. Casino and Goodfellas glamorize violence in a way that the Irishman doesn't because all the mob hits are instantaneous walk up, two shot to the head, gunshot kills, nice and clean, and it just feels a lot more violent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, how close he gets to people, he might as well be stabbing them. Yeah. Uh, which I, I thought was just so fascinating. Um, there's an... Er- I, as well, I wanted to just to uh, let on about the production. There's a, a scene early on where they push a bunch of cabs into the river. Have you mm-hmm. have you heard about that? Like, they actually did that? Freezing cold in December, and those are real uh, cars that they just... You know, well, they actually put. Scrapped. Yeah, I guess they uh, they had to. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. apparently, I mean, what have you seen about the budget of this film? Uh, about two hundred million, I've seen. Right, because it was allegedly one hundred and fifty, but then they believe that when Netflix got involved and it just spiraled, it went. It's gone up to two hundred and fifty million, which is as much as Avatar. Mm, with basically, I mean, no return. <laughs> how could Netflix? I, I guess Netflix would have to try to. How do they even calculate how much of their subscriptions are because of this content? I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting... Because the thing is, it's like, I can't imagine... I can't imagine too many people who would be interested enough to know that Scorsese doing a film with Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci again, never mind Al Pacino, uh, was a big deal, wouldn't be pushed to go to the cinema to see it. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I know you didn't, but whatever. Well, it took you know me a year and a half to watch this film, which is crazy, but it was just... It was almost because it was on Netflix that I hadn't watched it. Uh-huh, maybe. Maybe there you go. There was a lot of just, people when just, I went to see it. Just because it was there. It was there, and I, I knew how long it was, and I just didn't want to sit down and watch it. I'm going to watch it again sometime soon, I'm telling you. I really enjoyed it this time around. Sure, anyway, I, I'm going to get was, back to it. Sure. It was never... It's three and a half hours long, but there's nothing I would really cut from it. And it's never not entertaining. It's always entertaining throughout. There was never a single second where I was bored. I was constantly it's, it's, happy to see the next scene. and funny see funny a good, a good few times. Yeah. Like, like, genuinely, there's some very funny bits in this. Right. Um, Sheeran's lack of remorse and his skills with a pistol, I guess, uh, bring him to the attention of... Uh, Chino's Jimmy Hoffa by way of Russ, for whom he begins to do security, murder people, and be a friend. I think at the like at this point, this is when the sort of idea of the movie forms for me anyway. You got the blank faced deathliness of the mob on one side, and the animated arrogance slash hubris of Hoffa on the other, and they um, form around Sheeran to illustrate like the argument for his soul essentially. How how taken in were you by the by the themes here, considering how old you're getting? Themes more than the content, definitely. Every time, I, anything I've ever seen about the Teamsters and Jimmy Hoffa, for some reason, when they start talking about mob loans, I just immediately switch off in my brain and don't ever really take in the details of how it ever worked. <laughs> but themes-wise, definitely. Yeah, I understand. I get it. Sure. There are questions that we can come to at the end about the whole final 30 minutes, which are something that really define mm. the difference between the Irishman and Goodfellas or Casino. Casino. Yeah, yeah, and totally. Pro- That's what it's I all don't, about. I don't even remember the end of Wolf of Wall Street, but I really despise Jordan Belfort. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True story. Well, anyway, you ever, Hoffa eventually... Go on. Have you ever seen Hoffa? The 1992 film of Jan no. Nicholson. No. It was directed by Danny DeVito. Not really, no. It's very forgettable, but it covers a lot of sim- similar territory, but just not done as well. Yeah. I mean, it'd be hard to imagine. I mean, I mentioned to you either last week or the week before that I uh, watched The Red Shoes, which is apparently a film that Martin Scorsese, his editor, Thelma Schoonmaker, says every film of his has some influence of the Red Shoes. Mm. In it. And I, honestly, watching these two films this week, you can see the Red Shoes all over it. It's just so animated, his way of making films. And he's just grown into it. Like, that's the thing. Okay, so, th- like, I, I said it before, but I think ever since he fully kind of got ready and embraced the big canvas with Goodfellas, I think even the movies that would have potentially been smaller films seemed like big films a uh, fucking cape fear seems like a big film and you know it's basically a simpsons episode i think he's gone all out in big filmmaking and i think this his latest film is his biggest yet uh, anyway hoffa shouty al pacino eventually goes to prison for having uh, proven to have ties with the mob and he loses control of his union it's probably partially because of his haircut as well yes agreed um it w- the world was not ready for that just mm. then the Kennedys are the villains of half a story and minor pawns in Russes. And via a series of odd scenes with troops and jeeps, Sheeran appears some kind of a Cold War mob hijinks version of Forrest Gump. I, I have one question for you. Yeah. Who killed John Fitzgerald Kennedy? 
Why, Lee Harvey Oswald, of course. Hmm. I'm not so sure. This film does heavily imply that that was not the case. They do the but interesting... Anyway. It's interesting that Joe Pesci... You've seen the thing. I mean, I noticed at the time he references David Ferry. He's like, that. there's a fairy called Ferry. And yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. character that he played in JFK. That's right, yeah. So they're like leading into the um, Bay of Pigs, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then that all goes tits up. Yeah, I guess they're heavily suggesting that the mob. I the thing I enjoyed about the JFK assassination scene. So they're in a cafe, and Hoffa hated JFK. So uh, when he finds out that oh, JFK has, yeah. that JFK's died, he has that kind of thing where he kind of wants to go like, yes, but he's in public, so he has to pretend that he cares. It reminded me. There's a this I've referenced Limmy a few times, but there's there's um, on one of Limmy's live streams you can find it clipped as a as a, a short video. But he does a thing where he's talking about like he'd like to be in a plane crash because if the plane just started crashing, he would just go yes, <laughs> and that was exactly what I was thinking about what Hoffa should have done. I like uh, when they. Reporters ask Hoffa for comment on JFK's death, and he goes, "Well, I guess Robert Kennedy is just another uh, attorney now." And then in the next, Which, uh, like straight after, there they have the flag at half mask, and he forces them to raise it. Which oh, is just, yeah, I that's mean, that's great so fucking petty. Which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know I mean, they, like the film does a good, a good job of illustrating, like, okay, Hoffa, let's say according to the film, got assass- got assassinated by the mob. But it was not without provocation. He like, he, he was, had a million chance. They gave him so many chances to retire and give yeah, up and yeah, step yeah, away, yeah. and he just refused. I mean, he signed his own death warrant, according to this film. Have you read any of the articles about about Frank Sheeran? Though, I mean, apart from anything, okay, the mob killed Jimmy Hoffa because I mean, we can assume because he refused to step away. But have you read any of the articles about how Frank Sheeran is actually full of shit? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've read some of those. But I mean, there, there's one, the most compelling piece of evidence that the book has is uh, Jimmy Hoffa's hair found in the boot of a car mm. that would have been owned by mob guys and that Jimmy Hoffa's son has gone on to attest that like the only way that Jimmy Hoffa would have gotten in that car at the time was if Frank Sheeran was in it. Mm-hmm. But I like d- digressing even slightly. I, I like. I don't think it matters that much if uh, Frank Sheeran is actually telling the truth. What was that that we were we were discussing something in a previous week about whether it was true or not, whether it matters, and it doesn't matter. I can't even recall what it was about whether a film it was true. Must have been a story about matter. storytelling because that's what this is. This is like right. the, like for, Scorsese is like <laughs> is like Frank Sheeran this in this. He's an old man rabbiting on a lot. I suppose you could say. And I, I love the film, but like, I mean, Scorsese in the 1970s would not have tried to make a film like that. If he had, he would have been uh, Michael Cimino. Anyway. When we got, after three hours of this film, when we started to head into the final 30 minutes, I kind of had a feeling of like, is this really necessary? Because it should, normally a previous Scorsese film would have ended at that three hour mark of like, okay. So, uh, yeah, Sheeran's in prison for a bit, et cetera, et cetera. Jimmy Hoffa's dead, the end. That's where it normally would have ended, but the, the exploration yeah, of but what then happens you have your next coda. is... Right, that's kind of, I think that's really the, what the film is about. 
Yeah, exactly, yeah. So Hoffa gets out of prison and is made to supplicate to mobsters in order to get back his union. Hubris and prejudice get the better of him, uh, particularly when dealing with Stephen Graham's Tony Pro, and we're shown that Sheeran's trip to Russ's niece's wedding was detoured to assassinate Jimmy Hoffa. His reluctance to phone Hoffa's wife reveals to his eldest daughter, with whom he has had a frosty relationship all his life anyway, and she's had a good relationship with Hoffa. She just basically kind of figures that he's killed Hoffa, and this leads to her never speaking to him again. Now, both times I've seen this film, I found the scenes leading up to Hoffa's death and the final half hour of the film to be gut-wrenching, to be quite honest. Uh, we see everybody get jail time for one thing or for one thing or another, and eventually Sharon finds himself alone and estranged, picking out his own grave and telling his story to nurses who don't even know who Jimmy Hoffa is. How did you feel about the death scene and the the coda? I because it's so quick because all the violence is just sort of it, extremely quick. It didn't really bother me that much. In terms of Jimmy Hoffa's death, it wasn't something that was played for big drama. There was a lot of tension beforehand. No, 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 no. It's not. The it's payoff not is for... instantaneous. So immediately at that point, it just becomes cleanup, and that's maybe I'm a psychopath. That's why I've decided. Well, did you find it sad? Not really. Not particularly. Because yeah, okay, but because Hoffa brought it on himself. I don't think, obviously, I think it's uh, not great that Sheeran had to murder his friend. But if you accept that that's the business that they were all in, it's not like Hoffa was a good guy, particularly. They're all in the same business, and they're like, he'd done all kinds of dodgy shit, including murdering people, no doubt, like, call, like you know, calling for people to be killed. So ultimately, he's in the game. He's in the game. He yes, got, that's yes, what we did. Omar, Omar coming, and that's what happened. I think, when, um, I think there's a very interesting moment when I think there's a very interesting moment when Hoffa gets into the house and he's immediately scared. Mm. Yeah, that's he says, But then uh, if you think about what that says, would have been like in like the scene in Goodfellas when Tommy thinks he's getting made. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. Is but played I think that, I is think a this, much sadder I, scene for me. Really? I think yeah. this is sadder. I because I think I like I think um I'm not sad for Tommy. Fuck Tommy. Well, okay, um, fuck Tommy, but like the human realization that you're being murdered, they're like, oh no. Yeah, yeah, but I think that's better played here. I think like when really? uh, Pacino like uh, like just kind of goes, Frank, Frank, we should get out of here. I, I think that like, um, maybe I just think Pacino is a better actor than uh, Joe Pesci in that scene. But I like, I, I would have been moved by it a little bit. Um, I don't know, I think you're filling, you're filling in some gaps. You think? I don't know that he realizes he's getting he's getting whacked at that point. Oh, definitely. But not by Sheeran, though. No, no, not she, by Sheeran. But that's not what by I mean. Sheeran. So, and then Sheeran shoots him in the back of the head. So, okay, he knows something bad's going down, but there's not that same realization. It's almost like a like a painless death. It almost oh, I wouldn't it go almost that feels far. humane. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, he's lo- like, you know what he's looking down at? He's looking down at the linoleum floor with its corners sticking out because he's going to be wrapped uh, up would, in it. I would because, have to uh, see that again. I'd have to see that again because I've only seen it once. Uh, yeah. And that shitbag is there. What's his name? Joey. Jesse Plemons. Whatever. Oh, no. The guy. Um, no. Sal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. Uh, the way I that character is called Sally Boggs. Sally. Yeah, Sally Boggs. 
I watched this again, like with the thought of um, watching it like a mini series, to be honest. But I inhaled it like uh, mm-hmm. the best Scorsese films, to be honest. And um, this isn't so surprising because he makes and has always made like slick, digestible, entertaining films. But I'd honestly say this uh, is to me the most dense of his films that I've seen, bar none, except maybe the other film we're about to discuss. I'd watch this again in the morning. Also, I'm really enjoying the book it's based on, and um, on its strength, I've ordered uh, Flowers of the Killer Moon, which is ne- which is that uh, what they're adapting for the next one? Streaming epic for uh, Apple TV Plus, which we'll see a month in cinemas beforehand as well, and which will unite muses uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro at last. And if there's one conclusion that we can draw. So we got Gangs of New York, Wise Guy, which became Goodfellas, Casino, which became Casino, and I Heard You Paint Houses became this, and Flower Moon. Scorsese reads a lot of nonfiction. So what about the ending? What about it? So we've discussed, I mean, it seems like it's a reflection on Scorsese's career. I mean, it seems very personal to me. But I oh, really yeah, enjoyed yeah, all the way. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed the last scene, just leaving the door open a crack. Well, that is a Dostoevsky reference, if I may say so myself. Mm. Yes, that, that's a, re- a reference to the brothers uh, Karmazov. Karmazov. When uh, in, a, in a parable that one of them tells, Jesus comes back resurrected and the Spanish Inquisition are having none of it. And the head inquisitor is just uh, scolding Jesus and then some, and he's going to put him to death again. And then... Jesus just reaches out and um, kisses the Inquisitor full on on the mouth. And the guy is just totally bamboozled. And then he wanders out of the cell, but he leaves the door ajar. So thereby, the story can be told. I'm fairly sure that that is it, because it's like, that is such a potent literary device uh, that has been used and used again. I'm sure that that's what um, Martin Scorsese left that in for there as well. I, I, I do think this is, very very personal for Scorsese and not not quite so much for that reason but just because like Scorsese's getting old and this is a story about yeah. getting old and this sure. this is a story about you know what eventually all your adventures won't matter all that'll matter is the relationships you made along the way because you're going to get old and it'll be nice to have someone there for you when you're getting old how about this i'll go one further you're going to die and oblivion is going to happen. And even if you have strong relationships, you're still going to die alone and cold in a bed being fed by a nurse, if you're lucky. Nah, no. I, I, what would be the point of uh, all the stuff with Amy Adams and, and if that was the issue? No, I disagree. What Amy Adams? I'm taking a drink. You mean Anna, Anna Paquin? Yeah, Anna Paquin. What would be the point of Anna, all of Anna Paquin's story? No, no, I don't mean the it's film. I was, I was, I was talking about life. Oh <laughs> right! Oh, actual about? life. Oh yeah. Oh, no. oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I would never go as far as uh, to dare to say that real life is as optimistic as something as the Irishman. But no, I, I agree with, the, I agree with the film, the interpretation of the film. But what was the option for Frank Sheeran? What if he played it straight and he didn't become a mob killer? What happens then? He just. Well, do you he know the interesting thing is he doesn't is, even become a teamster. What does he do? He's a dry a truck driver. Well, the mo- he's just a tool, Frank Sheeran. He, like, in every sense of the word, he's just a fucking tool. Yeah, and like there's the like uh, there's that part like the centerpiece of the film is probably his 
I don't know, retirement dinner from the Teamsters, yeah? And he clearly admires Jimmy Hoffa a lot. But there's that part where he is watching Jimmy Hoffa basically um, sound off at Russ. And Frank is watching that scene knowing that you don't shout at a guy because it's already been established with the scene, with the film's most memorable assassination, I would say. You don't shout at somebody like Russ and get away with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I'm saying is like J- Jimmy, when Jimmy Hoffa, when he's just yelling away at Ross at that banquet and Frank sees it all, he just knows, oh, God, I, th- this guy's going to die and probably I'm going to have to kill him. I, d- I think when I think about the difference between, well, OK, I'll, let me ask you this. Does Frank Sheeran kill anyone? Does he kill any civilian at any point? No. See, I he just go. I go with the Omar. Nobody who wasn't in yeah, the game. That's what, that's what I'm saying. I go <laughs> with Omar all the way. I don't have any. I don't have any remorse for these people. He did bad things, sure. But I'll tell you what. When I consider the what I what, what I would say are like the four similar Scorsese films in a way, the voiceover storytellery films. It's the three mob films and Wolf of Wall Street, and I sympathize with the mafia guys way more than Jordan Belfort. For some reason, if you come at it with it, with violence and people, but against people who have agreed to the same to play by the same rules, I have no problem with that. But Jordan Belfort, if he was torn apart by wolves, let's say, like in the Grey, I would have no problem with that. I would support that a hundred percent. Yeah, I would too. But, but I, I just, mean, I see there's so there's so much of uh, what I've read about the Irishman is like, oh, Sheeran is a, a sociopath or whatever, whatever. But as far as I'm concerned, it's it's just his business. Well, it is his business. But I mean, even if you only kill mob guys, you can't pretend that that wouldn't do something that that wouldn't do anything to your humanity. I think he think about it. the way that the italian american mafia families are usually portrayed in these films is like the kids don't really have a problem with the fact that the father is whacking people often not always not in every case but often a lot of the families the kids are like yeah all right and the wife is in on it as well i just think he because he was irish he was a terrible communicator with his family <laughs> i mean that's possible that was the problem. He just should have brought them on board a bit. Yeah, I'll more. be down in a minute. <laughs> he should have just brought them on board. It brought them into a little bit. He immediately he got divorced from his wife. So first of all, he's a terrible Irishman, right there. <laughs> Excuse me, that has been legal in Ireland since nineteen ninety six. Since since last Wednesday, and if he he should have he should have just brought her in on it. Obviously, his daughter's still going to be scared of the fucking Joe Pesci monster. Because of its head, because he looks like the fucking sugar puffs monster thing, honey monster. <laughs> That's fair enough. But still, <laughs> he could have taken her along to go and kill, you know, whack a mob guy. That would have worked. So, I presume you think uh, Casino the superior film? No, 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 no. I, everything I've said about The Irishman doesn't detract from the fact that I think it's a great film. I really enjoyed it. I thought okay. it's an excellent film, and I think it's better than Casino. Ah, uh, me too. I think it's better than Casino, also, and I loved Casino. This I is only see, the I, second I, I time agreed. I've ever seen yeah. Casino. 
I still think I think that's an excellent film. I think it's a classic, but for reasons that we can discuss, it w- would never stand up against Goodfellas, and for me, need, nor the Irishman. Yeah, or fuck the Wolf of yeah, Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, fuck the Wolf. Well, like, how do you, like how do you feel about Wolf? Wolf? I I enjoyed Wolf of Wall Street enough, but the scene that really sort of sealed it for me, the why I didn't, I would never put in the same category as the as as the mob films is. The scene where Leonardo DiCaprio has taken Quaaludes, I think it is, and he has to yeah. like drive his car. Just I don't know the that slapstick physical part. I just uh, something about that just immediately turned me off. I, I have a strange film. relationship with the Wolf of Wall Street in that I've seen. I'm sure I've seen it like a lot of times. I've like four or five times, I'd say, and it's a long film. Um, mm-hmm. I find it an enjoyable watch, but. I do think it can be could it could be condensed. I do think that that is one of the scenes that I would axe the fuck right out of it. And I think as well that another movie is going on in there that I'm enjoying on a different level. That's kind of I don't know uh, supplementing my reaction to the central tale, which is that like I think Jonah Hill is in this excellent comedy movie, and he's fucking hilarious <laughs> in The Wolf of Wall Street. He's so funny, but he he is. I think it's just he's in a different movie. Like that whole stuff with him fucking with John Bernthal is in a different movie as far as I'm concerned. I've only seen Wolf of Wall Street once. You want to fuck me? You want to fuck me? I mean, it's worth a rewatch. I've seen it a bunch of times. And like, I I genuinely think Scorsese is not a a fan of um, subtlety, or at least he does. he, He, well, I don't know how he feels about it, but I mean, he is the father of the rat symbolizing obviousness. But I mean, I'm sure he was aware going in of the comparisons that would be made to his mob films um, with The Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but I like, even still, I I prefer all of the characters from Casino to Jordan Belfort. I agree. Sure. I'm going to take a drink of water one second. So Casino is a 1995 film directed by Martin Scorsese and co-written with Nicholas Pileggi, who wrote the book Casino, Love and Honor in Las Vegas. It's positioned in Scorsese's filmography. So we had Goodfellas, then Cape Fear, Age of Innocence, then Casino, then Kundun, everyone's favorite, and then Gangs in New York. This was Scorsese's eighth collaboration with Robert De Niro. You reckon you can name all eight without cheating? Oh, on, yeah, man. for sure. Mean Streets, mm-hmm. uh, Taxi let's, Driver. Okay, yeah, let's see if you can do them all in order. Go. Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, New York, New York. Yes. Um, the King of Comedy. Okay, there's one before that, but yes. Oh, fuck, there's one before that. New York, New York. Oh, yeah, sorry, Raging Bull. Yeah. The King of Comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, Goodfellas. Yeah. Cape Fear. Mm-hmm. And Casino. That's correct. So yeah, the origin of this film came about, uh, Nicholas Pileggi wrote Wise Guy, which was adapted into Goodfellas. While they were filming Goodfellas, Pileggi had the idea for this Vegas book. He wanted to write something about the history of the Stardust Casino and the story of Lefty Rosenthal, who was uh, a Jewish handicapper, and his wife, Jerry McGee. And uh, Lefty Rosenthal's childhood Italian mob friend Anthony Spallatro, and basically all the all the goings on of the nineteen seventies Teamster loans that were involved in casino construction, all the stuff that I tend yeah. not to pay any attention to. 
fun little Venn diagram between the two films there that cropped up. Yeah, there's a there's a certain scene in The Irishman where they reference some of that casino construction, but they don't go into it in any depth. Casino had a budget of around 40 to 50 million dollars. What do you think the gross was? Oh wow. Let's say 100. Very close, 116.1 million dollars making it Martin Scorsese's eighth highest grossing film. Any ideas what his top 3 grossing? My logic was uh... My logic was that uh, that allowed him to make uh, Gangs of New York uh, soon after, so I figured. Any ideas uh, what his top I, three grossing films are? I believe his number one is Wolf of Wall Street, isn't it? That is correct. Which is mad, but there you go. Um, number two and three. Number two, I'm going to say The Departed. That's number three. Okay, so number two... Oh, Shutter Island, maybe? That is correct. In terms of critical reception, things were a bit mixed when Casino was originally released. Some people accused it of being a bit of a retread of some of the themes of Goodfellas. Some other criticism labeled the film as being exhausting, passionless. What do you think separates this from Goodfellas? I I think Ace is... He's a relatively morally benign character. I don't think he does anything too bad. And I think that's that that's ultimately kind of what saves him a little bit. I also think that whereas in Goodfellas he's aligning with like a secret society in the real world, but in Casino it's I think it's very much like location focused. There is something about going into the desert to Las Vegas. And mm-hmm. fucking trying your luck that is just really evident in the storytelling. Like, it's... Whereas... Like, Goodfellas is a mob movie. I don't think Casino is a mob movie. I think Casino is a Las Vegas film. Yeah. And I think Joe Pesci's character loses himself in the whole business very early on. Um, yeah. And uh, Ginger is lost when we meet her. But I don't... Like, Sam the whole way throughout... Like, I was thinking this while I was watching it. Now, bear in mind, this is only the second time I've seen this film. But Sam, I don't think, does much wrong. Sam actually seems like an okay fella. I'm trying to think of anything. What could the, what's the worst you could accuse him of, of having a guy's hand broken? Did he ever say yeah. to Nikki at any point to go and whack someone? Not, not, not that we were shown. No, he's constantly seeming seemingly agitated that Nicky he's not trying to run someone. the casino properly. But the nature of a casino is that it's it's there to rip people off. I mean, that's the idea is that the house is going to win, and but he wants people to do their job competently. So the yeah, but that, like that nepotistic but, uh, that, elements there, piss him off. There you go. As well as that, um, like the way that the uh, narration switches between different characters is like mm. everybody's telling a different story, you know, which. I mean, there's the rat symbolizes obviousness for you there. There's one uh, narration switch towards the end, which I thought was excellent. I can't remember who it was now. Oh, it's uh, uh, it's uh, when it switches to Frank Frank Vincent's character, is it? Yes, Because he's right. the one yeah, he yeah, says like about two lines as the voiceover. Moving into the characters, we've got Robert De Niro playing Sam Ace Rothstein. Pretty much typical De Niro, except this time he's playing Jewish. In Goodfellas, he's Irish, but it just it just feels the same time. It's always like, "Hey, I'm a I'm a Jewish guy over here. I'm an Irish guy over <laughs> here. I'm a. Are you really? Because you seem a bit Italian American to me. 
Uh, he is yeah. fairly emotionless, except for anger. He does display anger quite well. I enjoy his... He does his classic, you're dead. Dead. Which is fun. I would like to say that to someone if I get the opportunity. And he does carry a lot of oh, threat. Yeah. But like you say, to, he doesn't uh, to, seem... To James yeah. Woods' pimp. Which again, James Woods, we'll, we'll come to him in a second. But we've got Joe Pesci plays Nicky Santoro. Pretty much the same dynamic as Goodfellas, which might have led, might have been part of the reason for some of the criticism is it feels like quite a similar, fairly similar character that Pesci was playing in terms of uh, Nicky Santoro being quite similar to Tommy DeVito. He's small. A bit more in control. But... Yeah, yeah. He's a bit less of a wild card. Although... Very, very early on, he does stab someone in the throat with a pen, which does feel like a bit of a Goodfellas callback. Yeah, that almost felt like a studio note, I felt. Mm, possibly. Um, apparently, he was also quite similar to the real-life Tony Spilatro, so much so that when he was on set at the Riviera Casino where they filmed, some of the croupiers were getting quite freaked out when he walked in the room because they thought he was there like, oh shit, it's, it's Tony Spilatro over here. It turned out it was only Joe Despite Pesci. the fact that the man had been buried alive. Well, don't let that, you know, could still, could have mm. got out. Anyway, we've seen what can happen with Joe Pesci eventually. His head can do all kinds of weird things. I'd be yes. scared enough of him as it is. Although, <laughs> like, in this film, Joe Pesci does look like uh, mugshots you see of classic gangsters. Like, <laughs> you know, that just overdone hair... Probably a, a a bed tan. He's got a good head for that type of thing. Have you watched uh, Jersey Boys? No. I haven't seen it either, but apparently he's a character in it. Yeah, yeah, he is, because he discovered Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons. I just like the idea of someone playing Joe Pesci <laughs> in a film. Directed by Clint Eastwood, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the scenes between De Niro and Pesci were improvised, which makes sense, because it does feel extremely loose a lot of the time when they're talking. They uh scorsese just gave them the start and end points and they they had to make their way through it which i think works quite well for some of their back and forth but perhaps like my biggest complaint about casino compared to goodfellas is later on towards the end of the film where nicky's thinking about whacking ace he screams at ginger and says like i've known this guy 35 years you want me to whack my friend who the fuck are you and my reaction is like, I don't know that you two guys are great friends. I don't know that you've known each other 35 years. At least in Goodfellas, I could see like those bonds between the individual characters were much stronger. I think that's why there mm. were some of the accusations of it feeling a bit cold or passionless here. Is like, I would have liked to have seen a bit more of, of the actual connective tissue between some of these characters. Because it felt like it just it falls apart pretty quickly. And it doesn't well, like, seem like Casino there's much holding them together. Is much like Goodfellas. It's a rise and fall story. Um, and a lot of what Casino has going on for it is Casino hums. It's got a real life to it. You know what I mean? It just mm -hmm. it it's it's it, for for a three hour film. It goes it like it it's so pacey. Um, and it, whether that be the editing or whatever. And that's that's really what works for it. It carries it along at quite a, quite a pace. And I do think the um, the other wildcard element that's in there is Sharon Stone's character, obviously. Who yeah, just, so she Sharon drives Stone. the plot. She she's in charge of the plot, as far as I'm concerned. Sharon Stone played Ginger McKenna. She was Oscar nominated. She won a Golden Globe. 
I felt originally when I watched Casino that this, my, the scenes with Sharon Stone were probably my least favorite, but I originally watched it when I was 16. And now as, a, as an adult male, I've, I, I, I definitely relate to it a lot more. <laughs> I understand. I understand. I'm not saying he was right, but I understand. Well, the details are played out for you there. I think she might suffer a little bit from what I'll call now like Skylar White syndrome, which is that everybody mm. might blame her uh, for getting in the way of the big bad guys schemes. But yeah, I mean, if you examine the elements of her character, this is a lady who we learn is pretty much been pimped out since she was 13, 14. She's 13, yeah. 14. Yeah, she's like her mind belongs to uh, James Woods, which is a scary place to have your mind, if you <laughs> ask me. I wasn't sure about um, James Woods. So James Woods is, was Lester, her pimp boyfriend. But it's just, okay, so as you mentioned, like he obviously started pimping her out when she was a teenager. And so she has this bond that she is faithful and duty-bound to him forever. But for some reason, probably because of the way James Woods is dressed and because it's James Woods, it's hard to take him seriously. I don't know if it would have worked a little better for me if it had been someone uh, slightly more threatening. But maybe he doesn't See, need no, to be that, threatening because he's a pimp. But I maybe just that, didn't. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah. like James Woods in this. No, I do. I. I he is I funny. Like he's this, funny. Uh, I just he don't know that he should of, be. Uh, some some of the pimps from The Deuce, which I've watched recently, which are the like the most terrifying right. characters of the pimps, and I do think he. You can kind of see him worming his way into somebody's soul in this, which I think is the point. Um, the the scene where he's back and forthing with the daughter, not so much. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't... Because, like you say, I expect pimps to be threatening. That's what I do expect. I expect a threat of violence. Not just well, to you gotta have knock charm the there too, you know? Sure. I just wanted someone more threatening there. So filling out the rest of the cast, we had Don Rickles as Billy Sherbert, the legendary insult <laughs> It's so funny Don seeing Rickles. Don Rickles be so meek. He is. He, I like him. I like him as a character, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah me too. it's the least Don Ricklesy thing because, I mean, he's a legendary insult comic. And in this, I mean, he was obviously his character. He was portrayed as a character in The Irishman as well. But it's, it is fun. I think he's really good in the role, though, just as this kind of... Yeah, I think he's number great. Two. I think he's absolutely terrific. Is Rothstein's number two, who's just yeah, meekly carrying out whatever, uh, whatever task he is given. And then we've got Kevin Pollock as Philip Green, quite a muted performance, obviously preparing himself mentally for Joanna Man. Joanna Man. Moving into the plot, like you mentioned, it's the typical mafia film structure. We've got rise, good times, and then fall. Isn't that pretty much, that seems to be the case across most, any of these type of mafia stories. I mean, even things like Scarface, it's the same thing. It's, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be rise, good times, fall. That's pretty much, that's pretty much what you have to go with. Well, unless you count the granddaddies of all mob movies, uh, the gang, the, uh, the Godfather, the Godfather are more about rise and rise and, and lose your soul. Right. Which I guess is similar to the Irishman in terms of Frank Sheeran's path. Yeah. So the opening shot of this film, it starts with the car bomb where Ace Rothstein is in a car that blows up. And I don't know if you noticed, this is the first, I think previous times when I watched this film, it was probably on VHS or DVD. And this time I watched it on, uh, uh, let's say, Laserdisc. But 
This was the first. <laughs> this was the first time where I noticed the awful dummy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. That. There's a there's a clear cut at the frame where it goes from human Robert De Niro to ridiculous looking dummy. Yeah, I noticed it's that. Really, really, really bad. Anyway, that's the first time I caught it watching it this time. So we've this got. This is H- why Laserdisc never survived as a format. Right. Yep. It's not ideal. Just shows go- you too much of the chewing gum connecting the sets, you know. Yeah, I'm gonna. I don't know why. I'm gonna get the HD DVD of it instead. You should. So you've got Rothstein. He's a handicapper for the mob. He gets sent out to Vegas to oversee the casino operations. He's very successful. He's good at his job. He knows what he's doing. So the mob guys out in Kansas City and the Midwest they send Nicky Santoro, who allegedly is Ace Rothstein's friend. They've known each other when they were younger, apparently. So the mob sends in Santoro to protect the investment. However, Nicky Santoro is just typical Joe Pesci mob character. He basically fucks everything up, starts beating the shit out of people, stealing everything. He's a, he had this hole-in-the-wall gang that blows holes in jewelry stores, etc., and steals everything. He warns off other gangs. He puts a guy's head in a vice, which is one of the classic yes, scenes, uh, which I did find... I find the violence of that quite... I find the violence of this film far more troubling than anything in The Irishman. Yeah, me Because too. it's visceral. And that scene particularly. Oh yes. my God, that scene is, is so rough. No, I don't like that. I do not, me not like it. But I think act one of this film is its strongest. The typical Scorsese tracking shots, humor, especially in the voiceover. Pesci's very funny in voiceover. It's quite similar to Goodfellas. It's a show behind the curtain of what's happening. All the scenes where they walk through the uh, counting room and the guy goes in and lifts the cash and does the skim. Mm. Everything about that, I think, is just, it's, it's fun, breezy. Even when crimes are being committed or violence is being committed, it's, it's not too troubling. It's still on the, on the positive side of things. But then there's a woman who enters and that's when it really goes to shit. Oh, no. Not a lady. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're not allowed in this world. So Rothstein meets Ginger, Sharon Stone. They get together. They have a child. We see her pimp ex-boyfriend, Lester, played by James Woods. He gets a nice brutal beating, which I don't disagree with. No, I I think that was a good choice. I like that. It's a good choice. But you see some cracks start appearing in the world. Uh, Rothstein fires some incompetent staff, but it turns out they have connections to the Gaming Commission. And Sam can't get a license because of historic criminal offenses when he was back in, in Kansas City. And Nikki's bringing heat from the FBI, and basically everything starts to go to shit. So Everything goes to shit. Heading into the downfall section, we've got Ace Rothstein's TV show. That's a bizarre little element. Did that yeah, really happen? A- Did uh, Lefty Rosenthal really have a TV show? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I looked that that's up. That's mad. And then to make thing to to compound things, Piscano, who's the one of the KC bosses, there's a wiretap going on, and in the biggest mafia stereotype ever, this middle age, not even middle aged man, almost almost elderly man whose mother is Martin Scorsese's mother, I think, is, um, yeah, yeah, he has to apologize to his mom for swearing while he is uh, loudly exclaiming that everyone is a He does swear a lot. 
he does swear a lot, but he has to. He's like a mom, mama. But as someone who lives in Italy, I can confirm that I, I, I think I know this man and his mother. Yeah, and then they all get roped in. And is Ginger. that before or after? Yeah, go on. No, what are you going to say? Say, is that before or after the least sexy thing in cinema history happens? Is the least sexy thing in cinema history Joe Pesci having Joe Pesci instigating sexual a sexual liaison with any woman? That is correct. In particular, him pushing a Sharon Stone's head, head towards his lap. Right. Yep. Yes. That is the least sexy thing in cinema history. It is fucking horrible. What were we commenting on previously of like, oh yeah, Gene Hackman in Scarecrow. I, in the same way that I don't like to consider Gene Hackman as a sexual being, I certainly do not yeah, like Joe- the concept of Joe Pesci. <laughs> yeah. Joe Pesci's Joe Pesci, head. In that realm that Gene Hackman exists, Joe Pesci is the guru. Joe Pesci teaches all the other sexless 40-year-olds how to be thus. It, it, like, it is just not right. It's not right. An it's early, really an early version of I hate an, er- it. an early version of Step Brothers could have been Pesci and Pesci and Hackman together. <laughs> yeah, I would have watched that. I mean, that's the thing is like, like they, they never put Will Ferrell in sex scenes, and he knows oh, why, God, and the studios yeah. know why. Well, I know. To be fair, I mean, the scene we're talking about is meant to be horrible. It is meant to be fucking horrific. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, because you're almost, it's like, as the audience, we're sucking, and we're sucking Joe Pesci's cock. And (laughs) with my fellow audience members, that is not something I want to engage in, or even alone, to be honest. I'm sorry, Joseph, but I'm going to have to pass. So yeah, it's Ginger the thing that leads to his downfall, of course. Mm, yeah, so Ginger starts her affair with Nikki. The Midwest bosses are not happy because of their traditional Catholic values and probably because they also pictured Nikki getting a blowjob off of off of Ginger. That was the main reason. <laughs> he was like he's saying <laughs> like, like, oh yeah, ah, it's because the Midwest bosses, gross. it's because they're traditionalists. And they're like, No, it's just you, you fucking freak. So then Sam and Ginger Start some brutal <laughs> fighting. Yeah, absolutely brutal. I feel I felt very sorry for the daughter, and this was a good bit of the Rothstein, uh, Robert De Niro classic. You're dead. You're dead again, which I enjoyed. But uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I tell you when what, I, when it, I was like, younger, it, it, it didn't bother me too much. This I think when I was younger, I didn't enjoy those these scenes. Not that I'm saying I enjoyed it this time round, but there are at least. They're understandable. I can, I can connect a bit more with this level of frustration, let's say. Yeah. I still, even watching these scenes, uh, Rothstein comes out like an okay guy, except he's weak. Like, he's too weak. Yeah, he, shouldn't like, have, he should have gone... Why did he decide that he needed to have Ginger? Yeah, that's... Like, there's a one point where he has her out of the house, and he, she, that's where she should have fucking yeah. stayed. He lets her fucking crawl back, which is terrible. I mean, Sharon Stone's character is clearly has a lot of problem, a lot of baggage. She's got a lot of problems that require therapy in a time when, let's say, there wasn't a lot of options in therapy there for her. So there's got some sympathy for her character. But yeah, it's just a shit situation and they should not be 
with each other. So Ginger has a deposit box. There's millions in it in jewels. She eventually manages to leave. She takes everything. She gets, she gets out. She goes, she ends up dying strung out in a hotel with a bunch of bikers, which is a fairly yeah, which actually rough happened. ending. Mm. To, uh, what was her name? Jerry. Jerry McGee. Uh, Jerry McGee. So after this, everyone gets whacked. Goodfellas style. Uh, Nikki and his cousin go out into cornfields and probably one of the most disturbing scenes are beaten to death with metal baseball bats and thrown Jesus, into... Jesus, yeah. It ends just so the, grimly. The, the sound, the dull thwacking of the metal with, baseball bats on flesh and bone. With Oof. Philly Leotardo finally just done with taking Nikki's bullshit. Mm. And then we come to the end, we circle back to the, the start where the car bomb goes off, but actually it didn't kill Rothstein. He was fine because there was a metal plate under the car. Okay. And then it just it ends very abruptly of like, so then I went back to my old job. It does. It ends, it ends, it ends oddly abrupt, abruptly. Which is kind of what I was expecting from the Irishman. So I was surprised to see that final coda that really dealt with some of the Yeah, how the, mournful the it all is. I think Are, they're both, despite the fact that, yeah, uh, some of the original criticisms leveled at uh, Casino still stand. I still think it's an excellent film. I think it hums along. Yeah, uh, and I think it's it's Scorsese painting on a, a grand canvas, and it is trying to say something different from Goodfellas. Like for me, the whole thing about Goodfellas is, oh, you like mob guys? Well, watch the last uh, ninety minutes of this film and see how much you like that lifestyle. You know what I mean? Casino. It's a much deeper level of that world that you're watching. Like it gets even deeper with the Irishman, obviously, but you're watching very deep level mob stuff with Casino. And Rothstein, he well, number one, he's not Italian, uh, and number two, he's not. He never gets involved so much, so as he's like a good character to almost observe it. But he can't. You can't get into that kind of desert, fucking crazy mob environment without being corrupted and affected by it somehow. And it's also like it's kind of like Casino has elements of like genuine society in it, like just. We can go out here and work together and try and make some money. Or the same thing can happen that happens in everything. Somebody gets greedy. Somebody just can't be a citizen and they fuck it all up. Yeah. I think if there was would no Goodfellas, Casino would be viewed a lot more positively. I, it's not that it's viewed negatively, but it's surprising how many critics had issues with it. And I think it's, only, yeah. I think it's largely in comparison to Goodfellas because Goodfellas is much more fun. Yes, it is. And has a bit yeah. more sense of shared history between the characters. I like. I think a lot can be like I, I said it to you before about uh, Kubrick's films, but I think like yeah, I think Casino would have an element of a Kubrick film in it. In that Casino enjoys itself for a while, and then very quickly you get to a point where it's like, oh, this is the slow march towards misery. And then you look at your watch and they're like, oh, wow, there's an hour and 45 minutes to go. This is going to be a long march towards misery. Yeah, It telegraphs itself pretty early. Uh, we said we were going to do this beforehand. So I'm going to ask you first, what are your top three Scorsese films? Yeah, I thought about this a little bit. I was said, do you want me to go through all three? Yeah. So I said number three, Taxi Driver, because I just feel like, like I said earlier, it captures the time and place. You've got the Paul Schrader script. It's... 
a great cast. It's an iconic film. The whole kind of mm. you're talking to me, you're talking to me. That, I mean, just there's just well, I'm gonna so stop many you for a iconic moments. Have you have you got any that will be disputed? Yeah. So Kundun is number two. No. Well, we'll see. Will <laughs> we? I mean, let me do them. So number okay. two, I said number two, I said The Departed. I like Infernal Affairs. I saw that first and I really enjoyed it, but. The Departed is fast-paced, always entertaining, great cast. I'll always enjoy I love it. The Departed. I'll always enjoy watching that. And number one has to be Goodfellas. Never gets old. So many great lines. Fun has a sense of urgency. It's really likable. So many memorable scenes. Okay. Um, the Age of Innocence. Go. So um, number three, there'll be a dispute about. Uh, I suppose I'm a huge fan of Gangs of New York. I never really enjoyed that film. I love Gangs of New York. I might need I mean, to watch and it it's again. Not, it's not just the Daniel Day-Lewis performance. It's, I mean, it's just how dense that world is. The sets, uh, it's its big, wobbly, epic vision. I love it. I really, really do. And I've seen it a lot, and I always love it, every time I watch it. Number two, uh, I don't think there's much dispute about these days, but at the time there would have been. Uh, uh, King of Comedy, I'm a, I've watched that a lot of times. Hmm. Um, I only watched that just last year. Really? For the first time? Yep. Oh, God, I think it's terrific. My number one is Taxi Driver, and that's one of my favorite films ever, which is why mm-hmm. it's there. Yeah, I would like to give very special shout-outs to, of course, The Departed, to Goodfellas, uh, to Mean Streets, and... Um, Wait, so you didn't even have Goodfellas on the list? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. How could you do that? It's, it's just, uh, I, I'd like I do to give love a shout out to Hugo and Silence. <laughs> I love Hugo too. I love I Hugo. I liked Hugo. I thought it was good, but I've only seen it once. Mm. But no, no, I'd the, like to the, give a shout out to Shutter Island. I like when thinking about this for ages, I just could not ignore the, how much I love Gangs of New York. I couldn't ignore it. I've watched it so many times over the years. I really, really, really enjoy it. So there. You don't have to justify it, but do. Whoopsie daisy. By the way, I have a question right. for you. Have you ever been to Vegas? Go on. Yes, twice. Yeah, me too. It's great, my, isn't it? My only recollection, I, I just, the first time I went, I was 19, so I couldn't drink. But the last time was two years ago, and I was just shocked that you could drink anywhere. You could just buy a beer or anything, and then just walk wherever you want with alcohol. So yeah, I will yeah, never yeah, yeah. be going back there. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. But it's a fun place to visit. Oh, yeah. What are you bringing to the table for next week? So I decided to go for Den of Thieves starring Gerard Butler. All I know about this is that it's long and it's about crime. And nice. there is an extended version. And if I win, I plan on watching the extended version. If you win, I plan on watching the original and the extended version. Oh, dear God. Seriously. Are you kidding? No. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, you've, okay. Seeing as you watch so many things, I, I wouldn't put it past you. I'll watch what version we agree on. Okay, I'm okay. bringing to the table Black Hat. Everyone's favorite hey, the Michael, Michael Mann, Mann film. The Michael Mann hacker movie that I've never seen, but Thor is in it. Well, wow. cool. is he playing Thor? No. Does he have a hammer? Yes, there is okay. a hammer. Hammer's feature. I'm listening. I believe it's your week on the coin front. It is. I Buck have face. one here. Thank you for using my approved name. Well, it's, uh, we've had this coin before. <laughs> it's got a horse or a 50. A horse or a 50? A horse every time. I know. That's what, this is how I fix these things. Well, it's horse. I hope you like uh, hacking 
Yay, Black Hat. Black Hat is on. What okay. have I got in response? Oh, no, you tell me what I would have won. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What you would have won was another film by the director of Black Hat, actually. Another L.A.-based crime film called Heat. 1995, another film actually starring Robert De Niro and uh, Al Pacino. Well, in a slight strange twist, I also chose a film by Michael Mann. Oh. And, and that was Collateral. <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch. Well, we're going to have about six hours of Michael Mann to watch this week, which will, I mean, yes. that's six hours without my girlfriend, because I don't know of any other director that alienates females quite like Michael well, Mann. Yeah, because be obviously, obviously because his name is not Michael Wu-Man. Well, until next week then, Andy. Black and Collateral. Cool beans. Uh, look, uh, I love you all, especially you, Andy. I just leave it I <laughs> just not reciprocate. That's the end of the show. That's it. That's it. That's it. I'm pressing stop right now. I'm pressing stop. Hello? Who's there? Hello? Hello? I love you too. All. One and all.